Today on Blue 58, what's on your mind? Well, apparently how the offense will handle the transition to a new coaching staff. We take your questions and try to figure out what to expect from the Packers under Matt LaFleur, especially in one key early season matchup. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode closing in on number 200, only about a month away. Pretty exciting stuff. Before we get to your questions, and we've got a couple good ones for this episode, I want to talk about something that uh, kind of floated across my radar this week. Apparently, this is not entirely new, but I think it's interesting given what we talked about last week. We were talking last week about alternate history, specifically in the 2015 NFL Draft. One of the things I wanted to do further on in that series is talk about the 2006 NFL Draft because a lot of people have wrestled with the idea of whether A.J. Hawk was the right pick there or not. Well, the story got a little bit of new life this week, and apparently this is not the first time this has come up, but New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton told a reporter in Los, uh, excuse me, in New Orleans this week, not Los Angeles this week, that had Reggie Bush actually gone first overall in the 2006 NFL draft, the Saints would have made a pick that would have dramatically affected what the Packers did. He says they would have taken A.J. Hawk second overall. And I wanted to explore that just for a second here real quick. We won't do a full-on deep dive, but this is a really interesting draft because just because of who A.J. Hawk was, his selection there ended up affecting the Packers for a long time. I don't want to turn this into whether or not A.J. Hawk was a good pick, but I just want to look at the other ways this could have gone. So the Packers in 2006 are sitting at fifth overall. And as it ends up playing out, Mario Williams, the defensive end out of North Carolina State, goes first overall to Houston. Reggie Bush, the Heisman Trophy winning running back out of USC, goes second overall to New Orleans. Vince Young, the Texas quarterback, goes third to the Tennessee Titans. And fourth, the New York Jets take to Brickashaw Ferguson, the big left tackle out of Virginia. On the board when the Packers pick, a couple notable names, A.J. Hawk, of course, Vernon Davis, Haloti Nada goes later to the uh, Baltimore Ravens, Jay Cutler also in this draft class, as is Matt Leinart, even Ernie Sims of the Detroit Lions. Those are a few of the names that go over the next few picks. After the Packers pick, it's, well, it's a bit of a mixed draft. It's not like a stunningly great class, but it's not the worst one in the world either. either. Mario Williams ends up being pretty good. Maybe not first overall good, but not terrible. Reggie Bush has a long but not necessarily explosively productive career. You've got guys like Brandon Marshall, the wide receiver there. Jay Cutler, as I mentioned. Andre Whitworth out of Cincinnati. Greg Jennings was the Packers' second round pick in this draft after the Javon Walker debacle, all of that. Uh, and and draft picks and, and and things like that get moved around. Ultimately, it's a pretty okay class, but you always end up focusing on the people on the top, and the Packers took A.J. Hawk fifth overall. But what if they hadn't had the opportunity to do that? I wonder how weirdly this could have gone. I think if the Packers had their druthers, Mario Williams would have been the pick at fifth overall, but if he gets to five is the question. From memory, and I think looking back at mock drafts and things like that, it's really hard to to pull out exactly the what 
teams were thinking. But I think the Jets were really in the market for a tackle. They wanted an offensive lineman. So I wonder if they'd have been super interested in Mario Williams. It's possible, but there would have been a conversation there. Vince Young, I think, probably goes to Tennessee at three. But again, you have to wonder what happens. So let's play out a couple things there. Say Reggie Bush goes first overall and A.J. Hawk is second. If Vince Young still goes third, do the Titans or do the do the Jets end up taking Mario Williams? If they do, are the Packers high on DeBrickishaw Ferguson? You're starting to get into the territory there where the Packers could use some help on the offensive line, but probably not um first round pick, fifth overall type help. So maybe Vernon Davis is the pick then. Bob McGinn finally gets Vernon Davis in Green Bay. Say Mario Williams goes third to Tennessee, then things, I think, get really interesting. Because out of all these players, I think the one most firmly connected to Ted Thompson, other than A.J. Hawk, obviously, is Vince Young. Vince Young is one of the few players that made Ted Thompson say un-Ted Thompson-like things. For instance, when he was on hand for Tom- or for Young's pre-draft workout, he described it, and this is a direct quote, as a hell of a workout. Quote, what impressed me the most was his velocity on all his throws, and he's so just so smooth in all he does. Usually when you're scouting a player, you think to yourself, he reminds me of so-and-so. But in this case, Young doesn't remind me of any anyone. He seems to be one of a kind. The more I watch him, the more I just scratch my head and wonder how he did that. End quote. I don't think Ted Thompson said anything like that about Aaron Rodgers. Even after Aaron Rodgers won two MVPs. If Vince Young was on the board in 2006, does Thompson do the unthinkable and draft a quarterback with his first pick for the second year in a row? I don't think so. But if A.J. Hawk had been picked by the Saints, it suddenly turns into an at least not impossible situation. It's weird and fun to think about. Ultimately, the Packers got however long they did out of A.J. Hawk nine years or whatever, and then he moves on. But it's fun to think about the other ways this could have played out. All right, let's switch gears entirely and talk about the offense. I put out a call for questions, thoughts, considerations as we head towards training camp on social media earlier today. And we got a few good questions, and they all kind of center around the offense. So let's work through these one by one. First, Dell, not computer, asks, with the key pieces on this offense staying over from last season, what do you see as the main emphasis needed for the new coaching staff to maximize a rebound in one offseason? Well, as you rightly point out, uh, this is not a new offense for the Packers, at least not personnel-wise. And this is something we've harped on, I don't want to say harped on, uh, emphasized for a while here now, the Packers are taking pretty much their 2018 offense into 2019. The only real significant piece they added was a swing guard tackle player in Billy Turner. They took Elton Jenkins, who's projected as a likely backup, maybe a spot starter at left guard, maybe the left guard of the future, but for this season, not a huge contributor. And Jake, uh, uh, Jay Sternberger, who's going to be, again, not a super regular contributor on offense this year, if everything goes according to plan. So the the hope here is that there's going to be a big jump just because of the scheme. That is a lot of pressure. 
And they're going to need a lot of things to go right for that to happen. So I think there's three areas of emphasis that uh, really have to come to the fore here for the Packers to make a big rebound in one offseason. The first one is health. We talked about adjusted games lost due to injury a couple weeks ago and how that really contributes to teams um, being able to play at their maximum. And the Packers really haven't been there on offense in a couple years now, largely due to injuries to Aaron Rodgers. This isn't really something the coaching staff is, ha, can control, but it's something they need to go right. And if they are not healthy on offense, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or another area, which we'll talk about here in a second, it's going to be hard for the offense to, one, rebound, and two, play to its full potential, whatever that may be. So to the extent that the Packers can control health, they absolutely need to, and they need to stay as healthy as they possibly can. The second big area of emphasis is also one where there's a little bit of reason for concern potentially here. I'm not sure quite how much concern, but it's not zero. The offensive line needs to be good this year for a couple of reasons. First, it ties back to health. Uh, It helps everyone else stay healthy if your offensive line can stay healthy particularly your starting quarterback. If Aaron Rodgers is running for his life back there, there's a bigger chance that he gets hurt. There's a bigger chance he takes more hits. I think that should be pretty obvious, right? But when it comes to what is apparently the core of Matt LaFleur's new offense or his new scheme that he's installing in Green Bay, the offensive line really has to produce at a high level. Zone blocking, particularly the outside zone that Matt LaFleur is working on or working with in Green Bay, relies on the offensive line working extremely well together. And if they can't do that, if they can't gel early in the season, if they can't really achieve a high level of performance throughout the season, this is going to be a a, a tough go for the Packers on the ground and really in general. And that's where that reason for concern comes in. I think I like Adam Stenovich, the offensive line, new offensive line coach. He's got a good pedigree. He's a former NFL level player. So he knows his stuff, but he's never really done the offensive line coaching job at this level before. And that's a bit of a concern. If it turns out that he can do this job and it's, it's all good, well, it shouldn't be a big problem then. But if there's any rocky transition here for the Packers transitioning into the, this new system, and him being able to implement that system on the offensive line, there could be problems. Then finally, this kind of builds off of the offensive line issue. There just needs to be a better level of execution on offense as a whole. Times down the stretch last year, before Mike McCarthy's untimely end in Green Bay, the Packers just looked all over the place. And that's where you saw... Concerns about Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy not being on the same page really sort of gain some momentum and carry a little bit more weight. Because if if Aaron Rodgers and, and Mike McCarthy can't get on the same page, how is Aaron Rodgers supposed to be on the same page with everybody else? The Packers just need to get those lines of communication straightened out and make sure everybody can execute at a high level in this offensive scheme. And I think I'm liking some of the things I'm hearing from LaFleur and everybody else in Green Bay so far through off OTAs and all off-season program type stuff about sort of this illusion of com- complexity concept. Parts of Mike McCarthy's offense were criticized for being too simple, but I wonder still if they were a little bit too complex. 
just in the way that they added weight to the playbook. So if you add all these sort of single concept plays, plays that you can only run once and then they're done, that's a lot of different things that you have to constantly have at your disposal. And it gets harder to execute, especially if the defense kind of gets an idea of what's coming. But if you are running an offense similar to what Lafleur does with this more illusion of complexity and running multiple things out of similar alignments, I think you can build things a lot more quickly and I think you can execute things a lot more easily because there's less of the basic stuff to remember and more of just the conceptual stuff that you have to get down. That could be completely off base, but I think there may be something to that idea, especially if you look at the near instant success guys like Kyle Shanahan and um, Sean McVay have had running similar systems in each of their coaching stops so far. They've seen near immediate jumps on offense wherever they've gone. So if the Packers can execute in a similar way, I think that's a, a good way to achieve some success in 2019. Great question, though, Dell. I'm glad you're not a computer because that would be a little bit unsettling if you were asking questions. Uh, in fact, you'd probably raise a lot more questions if you were a football-loving computer asking questions on your own. Brad asks, am I remembering incorrectly or did the Packers take a year or two to adapt to the zone scheme several years ago? I think people are overestimating our ability to run the ball effectively this year. Good question, Brad. We interacted a little bit about this on social media, but I wanted to blow it up a little bit so everybody else could see our discussion as well. So one of Mike McCarthy's big strategy changes when he took over in 2006 was moving, like Brad points out, to a bit of a more zone-based running scheme. And the Packers were not great prior to McCarthy taking over running the ball. They ranked 30th in rushing in 2005, but they jumped all the way to 23rd in 06 and 21st in 07. And obviously, there are the caveats there that the Packers are not a super run-heavy team. Historically, and under Mike McCarthy early, they, they certainly weren't, though they were a little bit more balanced. So there could be something to the idea of the Packers needing a, a while to figure out their zone running scheme. And the evidence sure seems to bear that out, that there was a bit of an early bump and they continued to climb. But I think that also could have something to do with personnel as well. In 2004, the Packers were a great running team. They ranked 10th in the NFL in rushing yards. And that was kind of with Amon Green on just like a year past his peak. 2005, he gets hurt. They have to lean on guys like Sam Congato. In 06, Green is old and hurt again. Then you've got Ryan Grant on the scene in 2007. So they are, you know building their offense a little bit in that stretch schematically, but they're also just getting better players, especially when Ryan Grant arrives in 2007. So while the Packers did seem to improve under McCarthy, it may have been more just getting the right personnel in place. However, that does lead to some interesting thoughts about the 2019 Packers. Like the 2006 Packers, I think there's a chance that the Packers could be in need of just more quality personnel at running back. Aaron Jones obviously is good, and I think he'll fit in fine with what Matt LaFleur is trying to do here. Jamal Williams, though, is a bit of a question mark. Even though he did play in an outside zone type scheme in college, he hasn't really shown any, any ability to be a super explosive player in the run game in the NFL. He came on a little bit down the stretch last year, but... um. It's never really been a real big slam dunk 
contribution from him, at least on the ground. He's been okay in the passing game. Not great, but just okay. But then you've also got Dexter Williams, who joins the Packers out of Notre Dame. He too, though not an explosive athlete, has experience in his own scheme. This could be a situation where the Packers are just trying to bunch of guys out here, trying to figure out who ends up being the real, real contributor or guy you can count on past Aaron Jones. Personnel, I think, is going to make this running game go more than anything. And the the question as to whether or not the Packers will run the ball well in 2019, I think, comes down to that more than the scheme. Brad, thank you for the question. Appreciate you asking. Stay tuned. Brad actually had another question. We're going to save that one for another day. So we'll continue on sticking on the offensive side of the ball. Ham and Cheese asks, given the most battle that most battle plans do not survive first contact with the enemy, what is a realistic expectation for the first game of the season against the Bears? Well, that's a tough one, I think, because it's difficult to project without ever seeing an Aaron Rodgers executed Matt LaFleur offense at all. But I think there are reasons to be a little bit concerned about how the Packers will fare early in the season. There is historical precedent for the Packers playing the Bears in the first week of the season with a new head coach. It actually happened in Mike McCarthy's first season, 2006, and things did not go particularly well. The Bears were a much more, much further along in their development at that point and handled the Packers pretty easily. The final score that day, 26 to nothing in week one. And it took a little while before the Packers were able to uh, really put it together at the start of that season. They started one and four before they hit their bye week and things went much better down the stretch. But boy, not a great start for uh, the Mike McCarthy-led Packers. As far as this year's Packers go, I think you can also take a little bit of a lesson for what happened for the Packers in 2006, because at the end of that season, they faced the Bears again and came out on top 26-7. to It is always worth bearing in mind that teams grow and change a lot over the course of a season. It takes a lot to... It takes a long time to get everybody on the same page. It takes a long time to figure out how you want to execute your scheme, who's going to be the real contributors. I mean, just look who, what we've seen over the the lifetime of the, the recent Packers about guys they thought couldn't contribute at the start of the season who end up not contributing, guys who nobody thinks are going to be a big deal that end up playing big roles. Heck, we just talked about Ryan Grant in 2007. I don't think anybody really thought that Ryan Grant was going to be like a leading rusher or even a very, you know, huge contributor, a significant tri- contributor even, given how the Packers acquired him and how he how much he played early in the season, practically none at all. Teams grow and change, though. And I think if you're looking at this year's Packers team, there's a fairly good chance they will get handled by the Bears in this Week 1 matchup. Just because the Bears are further along in their development than the Packers are. But I'm more interested in how the Packers do the second time they play the Bears. And last year's Bears-Packers matchups are kind of instructive in this way. The Bears themselves had a rookie head coach at the start of last season. And had he been a little bit more experienced, I wonder if the Packers would have been able to complete the comeback the way that they did. Because you look at how the Bears played the Packers late in the season and they pretty much took care of business. It was, I think, much closer in some ways than uh, 
than even the score looked, and it was a fairly close game, even on the scoreboard. But Matt Nagy looked a lot more in control the second time around when the Packers played the Bears. And, you know, getting them at home never hurts either. I think the Packers are going to have a tough go here early in the season, just because that tends to be how things work a little bit with head coaches. Uh, It takes a little while to implement your scheme, and this will be a pretty new Packers system for everybody when they hit the field in week one. But I expect them to grow pretty quickly. A realistic expectation, I would say, is a sloppy game for the Packers against the Bears. Win or loss, I don't know. There's a lot of factors that can change between now and then, so that's tough to predict. But I think it's it's relatively fair to expect a sloppy game when nobody's really sure where they're supposed to be at all times. It's kind of like living in a new house for the first time. You, you never know where everything is. You don't know how to make your way around. But by the the time that you've been there for a week or two, you can find your way around your new house in your sleep. I think that's going to be a little bit how the Packers seem early in the season under under Matt LaFleur. Let's jump over to defense for one more question, then we'll let you out of here for, for this episode. Richard asks about Gary's shoulder. Not Gary, who works for the Power Sweep. Gary, Rashawn Gary, the Packers' first pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. He says uh, the shoulder injury there is the biggest concern going into training camp. I'm kind of of two minds about this. Shoulder injuries are a little bit tough to get your mind around because they seem to vary more than just about any other injury I've seen from person to person. And bear in mind, I'm not a a medical professional here, so this is just an outside observer looking at how guys have tended to respond to shoulder injuries. Sometimes guys get shoulder injuries and they never seem like they're the same player again because it keeps recurring. And there are a lot of factors that can go into whether or not that recurs. Again, not a medical professional, but I just know that's the case because your shoulder is a very complex joint in your body. And it's obviously super important for for football players too. So on the one hand, it's worrying that the Packers took another guy um, who has a history of shoulder issues after having so much trouble with Kevin King. He's a perfect example of a guy who just can't seem to get away from these shoulder issues. And he's had multiple surgeries now to correct them. So that's concerning, obviously, in a way. It's hard to not be concerned there. But on the other hand... There are reliable medical professionals you can talk to who don't think that this shoulder injury has ever been a super big deal for Gary and that he should be able to play through it just fine. He may not even need shoulder surgery after the season at all. They point to the kind of work. I mean, I've read articles that they point to the kind of work that he did on the Michigan defensive line last year, just, you know, the kind of lifting and pushing type stuff. The fact that he had no problem putting up significant reps on the bench, even with that shoulder injury at the combine. And the fact that he just doesn't seem super bothered about it himself. Sure, he's wearing the shoulder brace, but that could be just a familiarity thing as much as anything else. He's just used to wearing that shoulder brace, so he keeps doing it. It's a, it's a comfort thing. It's a, almost like a security br- blanket type thing. You don't necessarily need it, but it makes you feel better to have it around, so you might as well keep wearing it. I am not going to be super concerned about Rashawn Gary and his shoulder injury until he starts missing practices and or games because of it, or because he seems limited due to that shoulder injury. 
Uh, there is a phrase I use often with my wife that she always chides me for using because I say it too often. Um, if you've listened to me, you know I'm a pretty pretty laid back person. Uh, I, I don't get super worked up about stuff. And I don't want to say it bothers me when other people do, but I always try to encourage people to be a little bit more chill about stuff as well. So one thing I always tell my wife when we're talking through things and there are maybe some worrying circumstances ahead or something we have to think about or be concerned about, I always say, don't borrow trouble. The meaning being, if you're not certain about how something could affect you, don't worry about it. Don't go looking for things to be worried about. And I'm not saying that's what Richard is doing here because like I've already laid out, there are potential reasons to be concerned about Rashawn Gary's shoulder, but we haven't seen any issues just yet with the Packers. So at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to go ahead and not worry about it until those things arise. When they do, if they do, then we can be concerned. Let's not do that just yet. Though I will again say, there could be a reason to do just that. So maybe borrow just a little bit of trouble. Go to go to your neighbor and say, hey, could you spare a cup of cup of trouble for me? I'm, I'm just looking for some trouble. Actually, don't say that to your neighbor. They might take the, I think you know what I'm trying to get at. Anyway, that's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you very much for your questions and thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate everybody who takes the time to download one of our episodes. Rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Help more people find the show. Each one of those things does help in its own way and it's the best way for you to support what we do here. If you want to take your support to the next level, patreon.com slash the power sweep is the place you can do that. A dollar per month helps offset some of our costs and gets you access to some neat behind the scenes stuff. And don't forget, you can also support the show by buying some of our great t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. As always, every bit of feedback, every opportunity you take to reach out to us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.